So I wasn't going to do this, but I am anyway. Um, I, so I, I don't know if you've heard there's something called the coronavirus out there. Okay. And uh, so just as a side note, they tell you not to touch your face. And you know, when you're told not to touch your face, your face itches like it's never itched before. Is, it, is that true for anybody else or is that just me? Yeah, okay. So it's like, I'm not supposed to touch my face, but oh, but anyway. Um, so just a, a quick history thing. Um, in the second century, the 100s, uh, there were in the world multiple plagues that came through that were not identifiable. They could not figure out what they were. Uh, they were so bad that the doctors fled because the doctors didn't know what to do. Um, but there was a group of people who brought light into that darkness, and it was the followers of Jesus. And it didn't make any sense at all. They stood strong. They stayed. They nursed people back to health, and Christianity blossomed and grew because the believers brought light into the darkness. Okay? Um, so here's the thing, the God on the throne, he knows where all this is headed, we can trust him, he's a powerful God, he's got it, uh, we may end up knowing people who get that virus, uh, but you know what, we're still supposed to bring light into the darkness, okay? So that's all I have to say about that, but I wanted you to hear me say that. So um, we're starting a new series today, and, and uh, we're going to talk about Paul as, as he taught about the cross. Occasionally, there's a set of commercials that come along or a commercial that is just, I really like. Nobody else may like it, but I really like. And one of those right now are the AT&T Good Enough commercials. Are you familiar with those? You know, where the one, the guy's getting ready to have surgery and they ask the nurse, you've worked with this doctor before, is, how is he? Oh, he's okay. He's Okay. And then he walks into the room and says, or right before in the hallway, he says, guess, <laughs> what does he say, guess who, yeah, I just got reinstated, guess who got reinstated? And he walks in and says, you nervous? And the guy said, yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. You know, and it's like, and then it's an AT&T commercial and you think, wow, you really want an expert. They have one with the tax planner and uh, one with the interpreter, which is really funny, where the two guys negotiating and hugging each other, and they don't know why. Um, but anyway, I, I say all that to say, when it, when it comes to our belief system, the primary person we go to is Jesus, all right? He's the first stop. And, uh, and, and if there's something we have question about in our belief, we, we, we go to Jesus first. And typically, the second person we go to is Paul right? The New Testament, most of it was written by Paul uh, as letters to the churches, but it's in those letters that Paul richly develops many of the theological beliefs that we have um, as, as Christians today, right? And so what I want to do running up to Easter is I, I want to look at, at Paul's expertise, as it, as it were, about the cross. He, he, had, he had a lot to say about the cross, and so we're going to look at some of those passages and, and what he taught about it. So we're going to start today in 1 Corinthians. Now, a little background of what's going on here. Uh, he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Um, the church at Corinth was a mess, right? And 1 Corinthians is a pure 
uh, description of their mess. And so Paul addresses a whole lot of issues that were going on in the church that needed to be fixed. Okay? And some of them are very, very specific, but he, right off the bat, he addresses one, and, and it's about apostolic succession, as it were, um, in the sense that they were having an argument over who was baptized by the better person, all right? So they were saying things like, I, Apollos baptized me, so I'm really awesome. You were only baptized by Peter, the one that denied Jesus, so I'm better than you, all right? That's me putting my interpretation, but that's the kind of things they were, so they were arguing over who was, who was better representative of Jesus because of who baptized them. And it really ticked Paul off. And, and he was like, what are you doing? This, this isn't about us. It isn't about Apollos or Paul or Peter. This is about Jesus, right? So here at the end of chapter one, then he, he addresses what it's really all about. So if you look with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And from this, in Paul's teaching about the cross, there's a couple of things that we really need to hear, really need to take in uh, for our own day and time. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, page 1142, if you're using the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of, the wor since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So I, I want to camp out in verse 23 primarily, but 22 and 23. And I want us to see that Paul is addressing two groups of people that the church in Corinth was having to deal with. The first was the Judaizers, those who were Jewish Christians who believed that the new, Christ, new Gentile, non-Jewish Christians, should become Jewish, and they should live out the Jewish life, and that should be a priority for them. And the second group are the philosophers. Corinth is, is geography, right next to Athens, and it is Athens that is famous for its philosophical instructors, from Aristotle to Plato and on down, and, and Socrates, they, they started schools of philosophy where they would, they would take wisdom of humanity, and they would try to make everything make sense. And Paul addresses those two people and those two critics of the cross, Right? So I want to look at those, and, and I want us to compare it to 2020, and I think you'll see some similarities, at least some very similar challenges. All right? So verse 22 says this, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. That word stumbling block is a fascinating word. It can be translated scandalous. You ever thought about the word scandalous? 
That's a really powerful word. Okay, so just from the English dictionary, scandalous can be defined as disgraceful, shameful, shocking, or improper. So when you think about scandalous, you think about something big, okay? And I don't talk politics up here, but I just know right now in Jacksonville, there's a scandal going on. Are you familiar with this, having to do with JEA, right? I'm not making this up. I'm not giving you a side. They're investigating it. But somehow people have been accused of trying to sell JEA without us having a say in it. And then those who were behind it were going to make a lot of money. That's the accusation. A former mayor said, this is the biggest scandal, he used that word, in Jacksonville political history. So we think of scandalous, that's the kind of thing you think about. Something that is really big, that, that affects a lot of, a lot of people. And, and so Paul intentionally uses that word because for the Jewish people, the cross of Jesus is a scandalous thing. First of all, you find in the law, it's written that anyone who dies on a tree is cursed. And so Paul is saying now that this Jesus who was killed on a tree is the Messiah. And the Jews were like, wait a minute. We thought those who were killed on a tree were cursed. How can he be the Messiah? And it just blew their mind. Why would the Messiah do this? And so in their teaching, in their thought pattern, what Jesus did was contrary to the law. In a lot of ways, in their teaching, in their ideas. But how could the Messiah be one who was crucified? But even more scandalous than that was the idea that non-Jewish people who didn't live like Jews could be a part of God's family. What? Wait a minute. Where did that come from? How did that happen? How did God, we are God's chosen people, we are the ones that are set aside to suffer for Him, how can other people be a part of His family? And so Paul very intentionally uses this word scandalous, that the cross was scandalous for the Jewish people. It was something that was so repulsive to them that they just couldn't accept it to be true. Hear me when I tell you this, that the cross of Jesus is scandalous today. It's scandalous today. Let me tell you why. Because the bottom line teaching behind the cross of Jesus is that no matter how good you are, you're not good enough. And you can't accomplish it without God's help. Our world does not want to hear that. Our world does not want to hear that you're not good enough. Right? And so, please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. It's not my purpose to have you go out and tell everybody how horrible they are. Right? That's, that's not the point. But the point is, is that we could never do what God did for us. We are fully dependent on Him. And we need Him to have done what He did. And that is scandalous for our world. And I think that part of the reason that it's scandalous today is because of parenting. Let me tell you a story. When I was in third grade, we had an art teacher come in to teach us art. And so they decided after this six-week period that the teacher had come in, that we were going to have an art contest. So we were to go home, and we were to paint or draw something that would be entered in the contest. Every third grader in the school did it. I went home, and I was so excited. 
because there were ribbons for the winners. Now, I don't know how much you know me, but any competition, I'm like, oh, yes, competition. So I went home, and I found a piece of wood that was shaped correctly, and I decided to paint an American flag. Patriotic, had to be brownie points in that. So I got the stripes, got the blue section, I put 50 stars on. They weren't in the right order exactly like the real flag, but there were 50 of them anyway. All right? And so I was so proud of this flag, and, and I brought it back to school, and I, was, I just knew it was a ribbon winner. I knew it was a ribbon winner. And so they laid out all the artwork, and they brought in art teachers from across the city, and they came, and they judged. They didn't know whose was what, but we sat there and watched them. I, I don't know why we did, but we sat and watched them look, and they came to my flag, and I was like, this is it. This is it. Look at, and they started counting the stars, and there were 50. They were proud of that. It didn't look right, but there were 50 of them. So it came time to give out the ribbons. And of course, the Nemec twins took first and second place because their mom was an artist. And I have to admit, they were pretty good. Um, so I didn't have a problem with that, but I thought, all right, third place. Third place was announced, and it wasn't me. It's like, huh. There's two honorable mentions coming. Maybe I'll get one of those. It's a green ribbon. I'll probably throw it away, but at least I got something. No green ribbon. Nothing. I was ticked off. So at the end of the day, I grabbed my lunch, my lunch box in one hand, my American flag under the other arm. I got on my bike. I rode home steering with my legs without a helmet. You're not supposed to do that, but we didn't have helmets back then. We had concrete. And so... That explains a lot, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I get home, and I'm just so frustrated, and I, I show my mom the flag. I said, Mom, I didn't win. And I'm not sure, but I think she was trying really hard not to laugh because as you've seen me draw, I'm no good at art. And so she said, you know, it's okay. And here's what she said. You can't be good at everything. I was like, Huh can't be good at everything. Okay. Now, I don't know, but I've heard stories. If that happened today, parents would be up at the school. Why did my kid win? Where's the award? What do you mean he didn't get a ribbon? Things have changed. And we've, we've created this culture that everybody's awesome at everything. And so when the cross comes along and says, you're not good enough, it is not a message that is well received. We realize that I can't do enough good to be right with God. That only God could do it for me. It's scandalous in our culture. Because whoever you are, what you believe, how you live, it's all okay today and we're all good. Yes, we're created in the image of God. That is true, and we're all loved. But we're loved so much that God sent Jesus to the cross for us to do for, our, do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. Right? So, the cross is scandalous. It was scandalous then. It's scandalous today. Well, the second group that Paul addressed 
verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, scandalous for the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Right? So again, Corinth was connected to Athens. It wasn't very far away, and the philosophers were, uh, they were the main thinkers, and there were several things about the cross that were foolishness to the philosophers, to the thinkers of the time. There, there were several things that were, that were going on that were real that, that makes the cross seem ridiculous and foolish to the philosophers, right? First of all, they would have said, why would any God ever sacrifice anything for humanity? Because if there is a God who created everything, in their understanding of the Greek pantheon, He would never, ever make a sacrifice for the creation. That makes absolutely no sense. The second thing that they would have said is dead guys don't come back to life. People die. It's done. And this idea that whoever you worship came back to life is ridiculous to us. The science and the facts don't don't make that okay. It's foolishness. The third thing that they would say, you are building your life around this foolishness. Why would you do that? That makes absolutely zero sense. You know what? It don't have to go very far to find people who think that today. You don't have to go very far. And if you don't believe me, you can come to class with me next time I have class. I'll introduce you to several of them. Because the cross is foolishness. The science doesn't add up. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But you know, that's why God's God. We can't make Him make sense. The science doesn't add up. It's not possible for there to be a transcendent being outside of creation that keeps order. It's just not possible. Science says there's no way, but yet it's true. You know, it's interesting, the the 12 disciples, the the 12 men that Jesus set aside to be his followers, they really struggled with this idea that Jesus was God. And what's so amazing, and, and he called himself Son of God, and they struggled with that term because the Son of God would imply that Jesus came out of God, meaning that he was an extension of God, and they just weren't ready to accept that. But they kept seeing him do all of these amazing things. He would heal the blind. Blind people would see. Even a guy that was born blind and spent his whole life blind could see. That was crazy that that happened. There would be people who couldn't walk, and Jesus would touch them and tell them, get up and take your mat and go home. And they did. They even saw him bring a dead man back to life. There was a funeral procession, and he stopped the procession, and he brought the young man back to life because his mom was a widow. The scripture says he gave her a son back. But even in all of that, they couldn't accept the fact that he was the son of God. Until one day, something happened. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He told the disciples, get in the boat and go across the lake. I'll meet you on the other side. I'm going to go up in the mountain and pray. Because Jesus spent a lot of time trying to be alone, and they never let him. Right? So he goes up into the mountain to pray. 
and to hang out. And the disciples, as they're trying to go across the lake, they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing, but they can't get to the other side. They're not making any progress. What should have been like a three or four hour journey, they were three or four hours in and not even halfway across. And they were so aggravated. And all of a sudden, as they're rowing, they look up and there's a guy walking on the water. And they were terrified. They thought it must be a ghost. Jews don't even believe in ghosts. It must be a ghost. Maybe we've been wrong. And so they were just freaking out. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 it's me. It's me. Now, in John's version, Peter gets out of the boat and walks towards Jesus and, and all of that. But Jesus gets in the boat. And in Matthew's version, this is the first time they said to each other, truly, this is the Son of God. And it took all of that for them to get past all of the logic and all of the training and all of the things that they knew to be true, for them to finally say, yes, Jesus is God. Hear what I'm trying to tell you. In our world today, the gospel's foolishness. For some, it's way too easy. Why would I give my life to Jesus and it's, it's done? Well, not actually just starting, but it's over? That's all there is? Yeah. Surely there's a mountain to climb or an ocean to swim or some great thing I have to accomplish. Surely it's not that easy. I know, it doesn't make any sense. But we live in a world that here's the truth of the gospel, and it's foolishness. That's why Paul wrote what he wrote. If you go back to verse 17, he, he said something very important in this. He said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He said, you know, and what he was saying is you can make all the arguments in the world. You can make Jesus make all kinds of sense. You can make God make all kinds of sense, and you can really debate someone into the ground. And, but the truth is, it's not until the Spirit of Christ intervenes that they're going to believe. And I think somehow we've got it into our brains that we're going to convince people with our own wisdom to believe the cross to be true. But here's the deal. It's a spiritual interaction with God. It's a spiritual event by a transcendent being, meaning something outside of creation, something outside of what we can feel, touch, or measure that intervenes in the human life, in the human soul. And so we live in a time still when the gospel is foolishness. So what I hope we get from this is, number one, what Paul said in a different place, and he lived out so beautifully, is we're foreigners here. This is not our home. We belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we're here as his representatives. Paul called us ambassadors at one point. One point. We represent King Jesus on this earth. That's who we are. And there are going to be a whole lot of people who don't get that. It's not going to make any sense to them. But just as Paul said, we're not ashamed of the gospel. 
We're not ashamed of this story. And yes, you can talk about the logic of it and the science of it and tell me how dead men don't come back to life, but here's what I'm telling you is Jesus changed me. He changed me. And you can argue with that all you want to, but I'm telling you, he changed me. And I can introduce you to a whole bunch of people that he changed as well. So don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. You talk to your friends about Jesus who don't know Christ. There may be some who think you're crazy. But you know what? We're not ashamed of this gospel. Because Jesus crucified is the greatest story ever. It's the greatest act of love ever. So, we're going to go on this journey. We're going to hear people in the news. We're going to hear people talk about how ridiculous this whole thing is. And truthfully, there are going to be fewer and fewer of us who live as light, percentage-wise anyway. But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of our King. That is the centerpiece of who we are. And so we have that story, and that story changes lives. Let's pray.